Thank you for joining us on the Keep It School podcast with Benavides and Carnes, where we go inside the minds of teachers, administrators, community partners, and all things education. All right, welcome back to our Keep It School podcast with Benavides and Carnes. Today, we have another great lineup. We have some vanguards from around the district. Our primary focus tonight is really on our elementary level. We are going to have a two-part segment with technology and blending in technology with our practices. Uh, so we'll have a secondary panel on at a later time. But without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and have them start introducing themselves uh, by sharing with us their name, the grade or content that they teach, where they teach at, how many years they've been, uh, and maybe they can share what is their favorite app that they use, which was one of our Twitter questions that we posted in there since this is related to technology. And we'll go ahead and start with Lisa. Hey, um, I'm Lisa Calloway. I'm at Westwood Elementary. I've just finished my 24th year all at Westwood. I teach fourth grade language arts and social studies. My favorite app that I use, the one that I, my favorite one with my class is Class Dojo. All right, uh, my name is Annie Mitchell. I teach uh, third through fifth grade at Benwood School for Gifted Kids. Um, I'm going into my 18th year of teaching, and um, my favorite app, I have to say, is iMovie because the kids can create these incredible commercials for their economics project. Hi, I'm Claudia Mesa, and I've been teaching for 11 years. Um, I started at Cedarbrook Elementary and then to Westwood, um, and I teach fifth grade math and science. And um, my favorite app currently right now, you could say it's Scratch. Um, just how I'm using Scratch and embedding the SEL component with my students is something that it's kind of blow, blowing my mind away right now. So yeah, that's one, one of my favorite apps. Uh, and then I am Jared Braun. I've been teaching at Terrace Elementary at the fifth grade level, everything for eight years. And um, my favorite technology app right now is EduCreations. Uh, it's a screen recording app that I use to create some videos for my kids, especially right now um, when they're at home. And it's been pretty useful. So that's already two apps I'm gonna, I took some notes on even, I know the audience is taking their own notes. So Scratch and Edu, you said creation? Yeah, EduCreation. Okay. I'm going to have to look those up after this. It's been a while since I've, I guess, messed around with technology related to, to working with students since I'm not in the classroom anymore. But again, I'm super excited to have all of you on here. I think for the most part, I've crossed paths with most of you. Claudia, I don't, you were, you were not at Westwood when I was there, but I am excited um, to have a couple folks on here from Westwood and then some of my friends as well who did some of the Baller Academy for the soccer program with me <laughs> through the district in my former role. So excited to do that. Um, Jared, we're going to start with question one and we'll start with you. Um, can you share with us how do you leverage tech in the classroom to provide students ownership in their learning? So I think the main thing that you want to focus in on is like when you're using technology, it's not so different when talking about them taking authentic like leadership within their own learning uh it takes like the same types of qualities to get them to the point where they can do these things on their own 
So whether you're using technology or not, you want to make sure that like you're really clear on like the directions that you're giving the students, how they're supposed to, um, how they're supposed to use uh, whatever you're talking about. Whether in Google Classroom, if you have videos for them, like I was using, you have to like demonstrate how they should be accessing the materials and using it to their advantage. Um, and then I think. For me, uh, just spending a lot of time getting them prepared to do it on their own. And then once you have them prepared to do it on their own, like giving them opportunity to do it. And this is probably a general question for all of you as you guys think about sharing your responses as well. But uh, just on a curiosity level, I know in Spring Branch, a lot of our secondary campuses are one-to-one. -one. I was just curious on what access your kids have to technology, both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. I could start um, in the classroom. Uh, my students are one-to-one -one with Chromebooks. Uh, outside of the classroom, I'd probably say uh, about 17 of my 20 students have access to some form of technology to turn in work or to join, join our Zoom meetings or to access videos that I've put up for them so that they can uh, do everything that they need to do at home. Gotcha. Appreciate you sharing that. Annie, why don't you share with us on how you leverage tech in the classroom? So when I leverage technology in the classroom, it's uh, for the student ownership. I try to look at three things. I try to look at choice. I try to look at how can students can create and then how they can they collaborate. So that's way they can own that. It's not just a task they do so they can give it back to me. But if you give them those three things, the technology, you give them choice, you get, allow them to create and then collaborate with people, then they're going to be more engaged in and be, you have more ownership in whatever the activity or task or um, mastery you want them to show. So um, I definitely use blended learning. That's the Bible of my whole classroom is, is I use blended learning. Um, stations, they know the station rotation. As the year goes on, I, I change it into a little bit different uh, types of rotations um, of blended learning. Um, the, we are at one-to-one -one at Spiral at uh, Benwood, and I think a little more than half of, I guess, our students, the 900 students we service, um, have access, I'd say, just based on the activity from um, the distance learning we did about logged in and was interacting with us I'd say um, that's just a guess I'm not really sure the actual number of the 900 kids but um, that's kind of how I would leverage or how you leverage uh, technology in the classroom for student um, ownership for um, this is Lisa and from for the way I leverage technology in the classroom is um, making sure that they understand digital citizenship first and then um, I also give them choice, lots of choice on how they're going to complete their assignments. Collaboration is very important that um, I don't want them just doing it on their own. They do have that option, but collaborating brings out a lot of their, um, a lot of the discussions that take place. So I use the discussion board a lot and through its learning when I'm leveraging the technology, getting them to, um, use Google Docs also is another way I do it. I would say in my classroom, we're one-to-one -one with Chromebooks. At home, I would say 90% of the kids either use their phone or a computer to connect 
using their technology. Perfect. All right. So um, this is Claudia, and um, pretty much all of you guys have pretty much said, you know, how we leverage technology in the classroom. But I think one of the biggest things that um, I use is also just trusting my students with the technology. I think that's one of the biggest things that um, as educators, we tend to still want to control that in the classroom. Um, but uh, like everybody has said, like, you know, giving them choice, um, owning that learning that they have, but more than anything, also that, like Lisa said, the digital citizenship um, is, is important, especially at an elementary level, because a lot of them have not really been exposed to what is digital citizenship? How do we interact on social media or how do we use technology um, to better do our learning or to even better understand something we're trying to do? And a lot of it is also just modeling and expectations for our students. Um, because I could say I want my students to own it, but if I don't teach them those soft skills, if I don't model how to use it and how to truly implement it so they could be self-directed learners, then I really haven't taught to be um, students to own their learning. Um, so for me, those, I mean, everything that everybody has said, but also the biggest component, I think, is trusting and setting expectations for them to pretty much develop and become, um, you know, active learners of their pathways of everything that they're doing. And as for devices, like Lisa, we're all one-to-one, -one, but um, at the beginning in our fifth grade program, we, every kid, um, were able to check out their Chromebooks um, and pay a fee, but since we got, um, they did away with the program that we were using, Summit Learning, um, now our kids um, pretty much, they're, I wanna say like at least more than half have devices at home, um, whether it's computer, a tablet, or uh, a phone. So um, yeah, that's the access that they have at home. So I heard, um, what I heard from you guys, from, from all of you is you talked about choice, uh, I kind of took notation to Annie with the three C's with choice, create, collaborate. And I know a lot of you mentioned the collaboration piece. Uh, for the audience, one thing I just want to preface for the audience, since not everybody has its learning, that's the learning management system that we use in Spring Branch. Uh, if I recall, I had a couple of conversations with Vanguards a while back when we were still in the process of figuring out which learning platform we wanted to. And I think a lot of, uh, from what I heard, a lot of people use Google Classroom. Um, there were a few with Seesaw, but I, I, I heard that um, Google Classroom was a big one that really uh, people enjoyed using, just the user friendliness, it's learning. I know added a lot more features. Um, and so the quick follow-up question I, before we jump into number two is uh, a couple of y'all mentioned teaching them to own it, but also teaching them digital citizenship, which I think is great because in middle school, that's something that we also reinforce through some of the courses. Uh, since we are one-to-one, -one, I was just curious, and anyone on this panel can answer, but are there any um, digital citizenship lessons that you guys are pulling off the web? Are you creating your own? Where are you guys uh, able to access your lessons to, to do this? Because I think it's important to build that foundation in elementary early on so that that way they're getting it at the next level. And then hopefully by the time they get to high school, they've learned to be responsible with their technology use because that's a conversation that we've had with high school kids. It's kind of like your digital tattoo. Um, whatever you post, it's it's permanent. Like you, you can't really get rid of it. So um, I think it's important to hit it early on. So I'm just curious um, what you guys are utilizing for digital citizenship. The best one I'd say is common sense media. It is differentiated from kindergarten all the way to high school. Um, I remember uh, the district has made some lessons based on common sense media, 
into the its learning, but I loved it because it had like, you know, it showed like a picture of Snapchat and said, okay, click on the pictures that are inappropriate for high school, you know, that you should not have on your page or whatever. And same thing with, you know, the smaller ones for kindergarten about treating other people with respect, same thing you would do in person. So Common Sense Media for me was like, is a really great resource. And they do webinars, they have free PD for teachers. I used that, but I also used um, Nearpod had some digital citizenship um, things that I did with my class also. And I know for like the younger ones, um, the ones that we've all used with Brain Pop or Brain Pop Junior had some. So, I mean, at an elementary level, it's very kid friendly and um, the visuals and the, you know, the support that it has, it just helps them understand. But I think also like, like you said, Karns, um, I always tell the kids, whatever you post, it's up there. So even give them examples of what we do, because a lot of the times we could show them, you know, all these videos, but if we don't show them real case scenarios that is relevant to them, everything could go, you know, they, they will see it, they'll hear it, but they're like, whatever, it's not really something that applies to me. So I think that's another thing that we have to make it relevant to them and age appropriate at, at that as well. All right, let's jump to our second question. So how have you used technology as a form of student collaboration? Um, as for collaboration, one thing that I really in, had success with in the classroom is the discussion boards within its learning. I was able to um, create the vid, virtual book clubs that the kids were able to, if they were in different classes, they were able to read the same book and they were able to collaborate and have great discussions using the It's Learning discussion board and also the Google Docs and Google Slides when they're working on different assignments that they're able to work together and collaborate using those and also again modeling how to do that with them and having that good discussion is always important at an elementary level. Um, as for me, uh, I've used uh, several different apps um, to help with the collaboration like Padlet to create the discussion board um, in the classroom, playing Quizlet um, to where kids have to actually interact and um, review materials and they have to work together in order to beat other teams or whatnot to make it engaging for them. Um, but I think the biggest one that has been successful is when I've um, introduced ED digital EDU breakouts with our, our fifth graders and I put them in groups and they're working through engaging tasks, but it's just, um, they're going through the whole process, but also just talking about it and trying to find the right answer to move on to the next clue and so forth. So that's created a lot of collaboration, a lot of talk among our, my fifth graders. Yeah. Um, I mean, along with what uh, Lisa had said and Claudia had said, uh, some other things that uh, I've thought about and, and have used is a lot of times uh, my students will use technology as a collaboration tool for people that are outside of our classroom. So like getting in touch with our principal to set up a meeting with her so that they can like talk through some kind of initiative that they want to put forward or uh, getting in touch with another teacher from a previous year so that they can go in and work with their kids for tutoring sessions in the younger grades and set up times so that they can come or uh, I gave my kids access to 
send me invites for calendar so that they could set up like meeting times with me um, in the classroom. What, if they, they wanted to come in to see me for lunch so that they could talk about something serious. Uh, and then from there, like also getting in touch with people that they wouldn't be able to like experts in certain fields. So um, last year, my kids were trying to figure out how they could help the local pound uh, during the holiday season. And, and I, uh, I got my kids in touch with them through email and then they were going back and forth and setting up how they could uh, support the local pound to get them what they needed over the holidays. And then they set up an initiative uh, by talking with my principal and then also our case manager for uh, CIS and, and made sure that like everything was going as planned. So it's like a collaboration tool for not only uh, kids with other kids, but also kids with adults. And I think that is like a really strong way to utilize it because my kids, they oftentimes think that, oh, we're, we're trapped in a smaller space, but technology allows us to go outside of the walls of our school in many ways. And, and as long as you're, again, teaching that digital citizenship, which is what Lisa said, like, and teaching them the appropriate way to get in touch with somebody outside of the classroom, like another teacher or the principal or the local pound or some kind of expert, then um, usually those people are pretty responsive to our kids reaching out to them too. Well, Jared, that's incredible. Um, it's called a that's a that's a beautiful that you went beyond the four walls. That's exactly what you want kids to do. Um, what we do um, is just collaborating using the Google Apps. Um, so Google Slides, Google Draw, Google um, Docs. The kids uh, will learn about. Let's say um, they'll one, one thing is we use like a, we're learning about robber barons, and they'll learn about the different robber barons. They'll pick one they want specifically. And then they have a choice of creating a Google slide or creating a hyperdoc through um, Google Docs or using Google uh, Draw to create different organizers to organize their information. But they do it collaboratively. By, they love sharing with each other. They love adding all their little tech stuff. Um, uh, so I try to use that as once I teach it to them, then it goes into a station that's um, independent or they can they do it beyond um, and some kids, I don't know, this happens to me a lot. The kids use these Google apps to communicate with me instead of email. So <laughs> have you guys had that experience? It's kind of funny, um, which I love. But um, So we usually use Google apps for our uh, collaborative piece. And it's learning um, discussion boards. But like you said, not everyone has that LMS, but um, use discussion boards too. Yeah, so Jared, I, I took note of that too. And I, I, I know, Annie, you hit on this earlier just with collaboration kind of being the soft skills, being the new hard skills, so to speak. And so uh, two takeaways for me, and I'm sure the audience pulled a, a lot of great nuggets out of that as well. Um, Claudia, I'm definitely going to ask you a little bit more about Breakout EDU. I know that's something um, we were trying to do even with our teachers from a team building standpoint because it's kind of like uh, these escape rooms that are like, taken off but again you're able to utilize technology as a tool um, <clears throat> to kind of supplement for that so um, I definitely like to hear a little bit more about the break breakout EU if you don't mind uh, briefly sharing a little bit more of what that actually looked like yeah so um, in the classroom be well before the pandemic I mean uh, in the classroom we would use it more um, as a review tool so I would pick a concept for math um, like 
like fractions was one of our big ones. And as, um, as a good layout for reviewing fractions, you know, adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing fractions, um, I was able to find um, just basic pictorial pictures that match, you know, with the math components that they had to do or presenting a word problem that they had to solve, but they were allowed to work in groups. So I made it to the point where it was difficult enough for the kid to, they could search it on Google, but the answer that they found on Google was not the ultimate answer to the ED breakout. Because I always say, if the kids can search things on Google, then the the task was not hard enough or not challenging enough for them. So, um, and it's not something that it's, it normally takes anywhere from 45 to 50 uh, minutes, but the kids are so engaged and they're just trying to break out because I always say that at the end of the, whoever wins first, you know, gets, you know, to have lunch with the teacher or extra recess. I mean, there's always like an incentive. Um, and then I always try to do like four to five of those throughout the year to where like the ones that have the most EDU breakouts based on teams or individuals like get their lunch bought from the teacher. So it's always like something that the kids are always motivated. But I've learned that even me throwing in those incentives don't even matter because they're just so engaged and they're just wanting to work together. And it's been to the point where I've learned that my GT students, my higher students are the ones that struggle the most with these tasks than my lower kids because they're fighting a lot over the answers instead of like trying to work together to get the answer. Um, so it's just engaging. It's pretty much putting what we do already, EDU breakout, like hands-on, but just putting it on through Google Forms. And, you know, and there's, YouTube has a lot of fun ways to show you how to do the EDU breakouts um, digitally, digitally, but um, it's very simple. And you could even start with just as simple as, you know, one with this staff member, like who's our new staff member or something. Like it's always super easy to do, but it is time consuming, I will say. <laughs> so, yes. I think those, those skills are so crucial, even <clears throat> as you shared with kids who have disagreement. I mean, it's kind of like adults, you know, we have to learn how to disagree with one another respectfully, mutually, mutually, and then come up with um, what are we going to do to move forward. And uh, the other thing that I heard um, throughout y'all's collaborative discussion here on collaboration, uh, and Jared, again, I think it's awesome that they're getting in touch with the principal. Um, that's something that even with middle school kids, and I don't know if it comes with the age and the territory, um, but I tried to reach out to some of my middle school kids during this COVID-19 uh, and they weren't having too much of that. But I, I think, again, this is important because if you think about where we're at with education and, and what is, you know, everybody's talking about what is what is the return to school going to look like? I love because I, I, you know, again, pulling nuggets out of that, you talked a little bit about project-based learning just with working with the pound that's locally. That's something that kids can connect with. And I think that that's something that we heard at our leadership U was how can we connect our kids learning to the environment, the communities and where they're at, because if they are taking ownership in what's happening and they see a real world problem and how they want to solve it, there's so much more meat and so much more buying for them to actually participate in it because they're like, we're talking about their owning their learning. So I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's important to, um, for all educators out there to really think about how to involve a little bit more through project-based learning where you can pull, like I said, those those projects in the local community and have your kids, because they know how to solve the problems. Um, they just don't necessarily have the influence or the abilities yet 
um, to do that. So you're kind of putting that at, uh, in their hands and letting them run with it. So I love to hear that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll jump to question three here. And Andy, I'm going to start with you. Um, for a first year teacher or teacher who is just now diving into digital, digital integration, what would be a tip or piece of advice that you would give them when trying to create a blended learning experience? Okay, so first off, um, you definitely have to have a Twitter account and follow the hashtag blended learning. Um, buy the blended learning in action book by Catlin Tucker. Follow Catlin Tucker. She, I mean, everything I do is based on that book and everything that she um, that she does. She has different types of rotation. She actually just tweeted, I just retweeted, how you can do blended learning in distant learning. So she's still, it's still adaptable to that. I'd say get that book. Um, follow that Twitter handle, uh, hashtag blended learning and follow Catlin Tucker. She's just phenomenal and she's very active. She will respond to you, give you advice, you know, um, on how to do blended learning. Blended learning is kind of like how we used to do just station rotation. It just depends on which model you pick that's best for you. Um, yeah, I think Annie's saying it like seek out knowledge about the area that you would want to go ahead and focus your time on and find a structure that you think would fit best or that you think is uh, most applicable to your classroom environment when you're first starting right if you're a first year teacher you don't really know what you don't know just yet and when you get into your classroom um, if your classroom management is on the stronger side then you might be able to have better success with certain types of blended learning uh, strategies and then if you have a little bit on the weaker side of classroom management and are still working on that then you might want to try out um, another strategy that doesn't take nearly as much uh, management skills to get it off off the ground right away uh, and then from there once you have like knowledge and you know what would be successful in your classroom like don't be afraid to go ahead and start trying it out I think a lot of times we have a fear of failure. Everybody's going to fail in the beginning of like whatever journey they're going through and just do the same thing that you would tell your kids, which is like, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes, but we're going to go ahead and fix them. And every day just find ways to improve on what you're already doing. And then you'll find out that like your kids are not going to do very well on the first time you do it. But then as you continue to make it a routine within your classroom, and then they'll start to be able to adapt into new situations that you put them in with blended learning. I had the same thought um, to tell the first year teacher to don't be afraid to try something um, of the blended learning or technology, getting that integrated into the um, classroom. It's okay if we met, if you mess up, I always ask for help because we're, teachers are always willing to help each other. So don't be afraid and also pick one thing to start with. Don't try to do everything at once. Pick one thing and focus on that and get that really developed before you try something else. It's okay to start small because it will evolve into something greater than what you had ever imagined. And the kids are in the learning process with you, so it's okay to mess up because the kids, nine times out of ten, can help you fix it and come up with something even better. You are so right on that, Lisa. Um, Jared and Annie, y'all hit on all pretty much everything. Um, I think one of the biggest things that also is 
um, as a first year teacher, I think we need to understand what organized chaos looks like because I think that's what blended learning is. Um, and also to think of blended learning as a opportunity of learning, of failure, of everything. Um, like Annie said, you, you really want to just learn and, um, and just be out there. One of the books that I think that helped me a lot was Student at the Center um, that just really helped me shift my mindset of thinking because I think it all starts with the teachers. If we don't really have that mindset shift, um, we could keep trying and trying. Um, but the biggest thing is that we need to let we need to lose our control and give it to the students. We need to think of it as like um, giving my 16 year old nephew my Jeep to drive without any knowledge of here you go, drive away. And that's how really blended learning takes off because you're gonna, you know, hit some road bumps. You're gonna try something different. You're gonna learn from that experience and adjust. So um, failing, it, that's really what it is. You have to take a risk uh, fail and learn from it and try again. So I, that's, I guess that would be my advice. Just be a risk taker and <laughs> move on with that. So, yeah. Well, and I think just to summarize the, the three things again, cause I mean, I'm taking notes that, I mean, I think that's the beauty of technology is there's so much more. So once you've mastered uh, kind of what you guys said, starting small, once you've mastered some of those things, start taking on more of those other uh, tools that are out there. Um, definitely sound advice. Um, you know, I heard find your network. And so I know a couple of you gave some really great recommendations on books, uh, and, and Twitter accounts to follow like hashtags for those that are new to Twitter, but even just blended learning, you know, and I think that's one of the things that's exciting is we have teachers who walk into spring branch that may have 29 years experience, um, but haven't been in a one-to-one -one district or haven't been in a district where they've had plentiful, plentiful resources. And so, and I think it's important, uh, you know, I don't know who coined the phrase of failing forward, but I think, you know, failure is going to happen. But, you know, one of the, the, the quotes that I like to live by and I share with my own teachers at Landrum um, is that uh, growth happens when you step outside of your comfort zone. If we stay in our bubble where we're comfortable, then you're going to get exactly what you're going to get. And I think our former superintendent, which I mentioned on a previous podcast, he talks about the system is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. And so, um, you know, we have to step outside of our comfort zones. And I think it's important for us to be vulnerable. Lisa, like you said, our kids are um, technologically savvy. They are ahead of us in many realms of it. Uh, now, they might use the tools a little bit differently. Uh, and I think that that's where that comes in with that blend that you guys talked about, just with uh, teaching them digital citizenship and how to utilize the tools properly and appropriately. So I think you know, obviously definitely an important piece. So I appreciate you guys uh, sharing those topics. Samuel, can I say something real quick on what yeah. you So I think what's really interesting is like, we talk about our kids being technology savvy, but a lot of times what they're really technology savvy in is in consumption rather than production. They're really good at consuming material on there, but they're not really good at producing that same kind of material. And like that's where teachers can really like step in and have an access point to helping kids learn. And, and the kids are usually kind of unaware of how to do that in the beginning. Um, like every single kid would know how to access YouTube, but how many of those kiddos would know how to produce their own YouTube video and run their own channel? 
And I think that's what they're interested in, but, but we can give them access to that through our teaching and give them something that um, they really care about and would be, it would be beneficial to them to know. So that was just something I thought about when you were talking. No, and no, I think that's an absolutely good point, uh, being consumers versus producers. And I think, again, tying it back to some of the PBL that you talked a little bit about, they don't have all of the access. They don't know necessarily who to contact. It's kind of uh, takes me back to the days when I was at Westwood Elementary and you know, wanting to provide these opportunities for kids. They didn't really know who to communicate to. They didn't know who to reach out to. Uh, and that's some of the stuff that I had to learn as an adult being vulnerable in that, that aspect. Like I didn't really know how to reach out to when it came to community relations. Like I had to go search that up. And I think um, another point that I would add to that too is you guys were sharing on the social media side of things is I think it's important to teach them how to be good managers of their digital use. And that, that goes to like the posting, um, uh, not on a negative standpoint, but I know some of our middle school kids, they, they post everything on Instagram. And so when I need to go find the evidence, which is what we also hear the E stands for a lot is they've already posted all of those things. And so again, I think they are still learning to make those those decisions that are you know what am I going to post what am I not going to post what is appropriate what's not appropriate um, because we even have those further conversations um, about putting together a resume and if you were to go out into the real world people look at your social media accounts they look back at your Facebooks they look at your Instagrams there are companies who look at those types of things because they want to make sure who they're bringing into work for them is somebody who is respectful somebody who utilizes technology appropriately. Uh, and, and for what it was created. So no, I appreciate you, you adding that point in there as well. If you would like to connect with us, please find us on Twitter at Benavides underscore LMS. Samuel underscore Carnes. And follow our school story at Landrum MS.